Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. Well, welcome, Grace Life friends, to another Grace Life Simply by Grace podcast. And you know that every other week we've been doing what we call a grace story, and we're going to do another interview in our series called Grace Stories, and I think you'll really enjoy the couple that we're talking to today and probably identify with them in the things that they say. The purpose of Grace Life Ministries is to share the gospel of grace with those who are unbelievers and the grace of the gospel with believers. Uh, We all need to know God's grace, whether we have believed in Jesus Christ as our Savior or have not. It's we're saved by grace, but we're also kept saved by grace, and we're also to live by grace. And so that's our emphasis at Grace Life Ministries. And every other week we do a grace stories, but on the other weeks we do teaching and uh, maybe an, a theological interview of some kind or preaching and things like that. So we're glad you joined us today. I'd like to introduce you to a young couple from Indiana. They live in Indiana anyway. They have two children, Emily and Matthew Kutcher. Greetings and welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you, Charlie. Well, I was so impressed when Emily wrote and explained some of her testimony that uh, and expanded on it that uh, I said, this is something people really should hear because I think people will benefit from this. But I'm not going to give away things yet. It's a theological, you're talking, you're going to talk a little bit about a theological system that has, I, in my words, I would say beguiled many people. And and many people have found freedom from, as you have also. So can you tell us a little bit about your spiritual upbringing? I don't know who wants to go first, Matthew or Emily. I can go first. All right. Um, <laughs> um, I, I was born into a Christian home in a non-denominational evangelical home. And uh, both my parents got saved when they were young adults. Uh, They did not grow up in homes that either were Christian at all, or um, it was just kind of iffy. And so when they got married, they decided that they really wanted to raise their kids in the church. The church very quickly was my second home. Uh, My parents were very involved. Um, They my mom was worship leader for a while. So I did worship with her. We did Bible study, youth group, Sunday school, missions, got you name it. It was your typical evangelical upbringing. Um, and I would probably have told you that um, I was saved at five years old. I prayed a prayer, asked Jesus into my heart. I committed my life to the Lord. That was the typical language that was used at the time. Um, in my upbringing. And so during my early childhood, I assumed that was it. I prayed the prayer, got baptized around 11 years old, um, and just was very active in the church. So that would probably be how I would say I I was saved maybe at five, which we'll discuss later. Yeah. Well, it's, it's very common for people not to know exactly when they were saved. And sometimes these childhood prayers we're not we're not exactly sure uh about them yeah but the important thing is that we get clear later anyway um so matthew do you want to tell us a little bit about your beginning on your spiritual journey sure thing charlie 
Um, so I grew up in a, in a somewhat similar family as Emily, um, an evangelical, you know, I had to my family is um, evangelical Christian faith. I, both my parents were involved with crew um, and still are to this day. Uh, so missions, the idea of missions, being missional, uh, being evangelistic was a very important part of my upbringing. I was about five years old when I came to faith, at least that's uh, when I acknowledged that I was a sinner, that I needed help. And um, probably the, the phrase, uh, phrase I asked Jesus into my heart is, is what um, I would have used as a young boy. Um, so around five is probably when I came to faith. And that's kind of the number that sticks out there for me when I think back. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very involved in the church growing up. I felt like missions were very important. Um, And at the same time, I didn't know or understand theology very well. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't really have a great appreciation for theology or different theological systems. And so um, even though I was very involved in our church, I was even involved in my dad's ministry uh, later on as I grew up. I didn't have a good grasp theologically, um, despite being in a great church community. There was a lot of confusion just um, as I got older around what what do these different theological systems mean? And and because of that, I kind of got myself going down a path where I didn't I didn't realize where I was until years later, if that makes sense. Okay. Okay. Your parents were involved uh, with crew as missionaries. Did you did you do overseas missions? with them we did yes we did i actually traveled to china when i was uh i think around middle school age i got to walk on the great wall of china i got to see some great things that was um we did some i know we passed out tracks in certain places and it had to be done in secret at that time um and i know we spent some time with uh, different missionary families. And my dad's done a number of other overseas missions. Now, I only got to be part of that particular one. And then um, I did some missions with my church also in South America. Um, but most of the missionary, um, most of the missionary endeavors happened within the States. So, okay. and specifically with um, athletes. So my, that was kind of my dad's focus campus athletics yeah right right okay very good so you know it's it seems like both of you you could hardly have more of a christian upbringing than you had you talked about your family being very strong christians going to good churches um being involved in missions work um and and yet you know many people in their teenage years kind of hit the um I don't know what, how to say it, hit a downward spiral of some kind. And they start asking questions and trying to think things through. Did that happen with you all, with you both? You all as a Texas. <laughs> well, we lived in, we lived in Tennessee for a while. So we said y'all for a while as well. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, for me, I'll speak for myself. Um, I, I, grew up to be someone who had questioned a lot, test boundaries a lot. I'm the oldest of four children and pretty strong-willed, pretty like to do my own thing. And um, 
I, in my church environment, it was pretty strict. And so um, there was a lot of judgment and shame for not keeping up with the expectations. And I... Can you give me an example of that you're talking about? Um, when you say strict? Everyone, so even if your shorts or your skirt was like an inch too high, your salvation would be questioned. Mm. Or um, if you just really didn't obey right away with a happy heart, or um, I don't know, I'm just thinking of anything, it really led back to, well, maybe you're not really saved. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that led to, for me, it, it would make me angry a lot because you just feel like this horrible person when someone questions your salvation. Right. Um, because I always want, I actually really wanted to be a good person. I wanted to do really well. I wanted to be a good Christian, but I just was always really honest that I struggled. I struggled to forgive when someone hurt me. I struggled to, um, always want to do the right thing. I, sometimes I wanted to listen to certain music that my parents didn't want me to listen to, or, you know, watch or read books like Harry Potter, you know, that was a no. And obviously I respect that decision now, but at the time I was very like, why can't I do this? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I felt, I felt bad because I, why do I have these desires to do things that are so different than the Christians around me? It felt like everybody else just had this natural desire to be a good Christian. And I didn't. At least and on the surface, it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. But the problem was nobody really was talking about their struggles. No, as far as I knew, they weren't talking to me about it. It wasn't a conversation among friends or in teaching. And so you felt like you had to hide your struggles Mm -hmm. in church. And I just wasn't very successful at that. Um, And it just, it built resentment. It built anger, frustration, shame. I just, I felt like I was never good enough and that I was never going to get God's approval. Well, legalistic churches tend to lead to burnout when we try to pretend that we're something we're not and can't be honest about it, our struggles. Um, so from from there, though, uh, did you have a reshaping of your thought your and how you viewed salvation? Well, um, I... <laughs> I was pretty fed up with my church community. So I kind of just, I left after I was 18 and I started, I had gone to hair school, uh, cosmetology school, moved out and had met some roommates and developed a community in the college town area. And I was introduced through my roommate to her church, which was part of the Acts 29 network. And for anyone who doesn't know, the Acts 29 network is a global church network that plants churches, and it is for Calvinist churches. Like Matthew had said, I had never heard of the word Calvinism or Arminianism or heard of putting together theological concepts and frameworks. And I, I just, 
I don't know, it was kind of a mess of theology growing up. And um, so I just knew that I trusted my roommate and I knew that she really liked this church. And she said, you should go check it out. The people are very nice. And because I had grown up in what I felt like a church environment where the people weren't very nice, I thought I would go check it out. But obviously that led to a whole lot of other problems. Mm, okay. But we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Matthew, And how about your teenage years? Did you go through any struggles uh, similarly? In a way, I would say my struggles happened a little bit later. Most of, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, most of my friends, pretty much all my close friends came by way of the church I was involved with in my youth group. And so thankfully, I, you know, I guess you could say I dodged a bullet um, because I had some great friends around me and um, I had some people that really cared about me. Now, I would say I was very involved in ministry um, all the way into my college years. However, it was in my college years that really things started to, you know, the road got a little bumpier. <laughs> um, I had a, a couple different things happen. One was I went through um, an addiction period where I struggled with uh, pornography and lust, and I had to work through that. I went through some counseling as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, that was the, toward the end of my college years, those were the first times where I really started to think through theological systems. And I had a good friend at the time who eventually went into youth ministry. And he was the first one that started asking me questions. um, And really we were working through, you know, what is Calvinism? What does that mean? What is Arminianism? What does that mean? And what does that look like? And where, where do you fall into that spectrum there? Um, And at this point, I had never even heard of free grace theology that, that was years down the road. Um, but that was the first time where having gone through uh, probably some of the, the hardest times in my life um, up to that point, dealing with an addiction, starting to go through some counseling where I'm actually delving through my own internal issues of my upbringing. Um, I, I actually came across some John Piper sermons. And at the time, those really spoke to me. And so I kind of latched on to this John Piper doctrine, the doctrines that John Piper was teaching. And he sort of became a spiritual hero to me in a way. Mm -hmm. And so that was uh, one of the avenues that started to pull me into a Calvinistic theological direction or Reformed theology. Um, Another thing was that shortly after college, I, I grew up in Ohio near Columbus After graduating from college, I ended up moving to Nashville, um, and that's where I got my first job. And my friend, who was kind of pressing me with these different questions as we were working through them, really wanted me to attend a good church. And so he said, hey, there's this great Acts 29 church, kind of in a similar vein to Emily's story. And he said, go check it out. So I ended up going to check it out, um, met some people, started to get really involved in that, and... um, you know, I, I started to, the way I kind of think about it is I started to take my theological box, the way I understood theology, and I placed it in the Calvinistic camp. And I started to kind of try and fit all the things that I had learned about growing up and fit them into the theological framework of Calvinism. So, so just to be clear, you went to the Acts 29 church 
Is that where you met? Same church? At the X29 church? Um, well, we were both attending it, but we didn't realize it. We actually met outside of the church. Not the one I went to, one in Illinois. Oh, okay. You was your first one in Nashville? It was. Yeah, I came down and then we met in Nashville. But um, I first attended an Acts 29 church in Illinois first, where I grew up. Okay. But what? yeah, we met later on through that. Let's talk about what attracted you to the church and what attracted you to the theological system of Calvinism. Uh, what what drew you there? You said you you were a little bit, Emily, a bit fed up with your other church. So you were looking for a church that expressed maybe more love. Did you find it there? Yes and no. Um, I felt like growing up, two groups that I was looking at, there was this group blatant rebellion, blatant, I don't want anything to do with the church, leaving the church. And then the other kids that I grew up with, I felt like they were just the really, really good Christians that could do Christianity really well. And I felt like I was somewhere on the outside or in the middle of, I know the Bible's true and I want to take it seriously, but I also can't live up to this this Christianity that I see in front of me. And I feel hopeless with that. I, but I didn't know what to do with that. I felt really lost. So when I came to the Acts 29 church in Illinois, the first time I heard the pastor speak, he spoke in such a way that was so honest about being a sinner and in such a gracious, and at the time I thought gracious way, I just thought, oh my goodness, this is what I've been looking for. Somebody actually is on stage talking about the depth of their brokenness and how God has saved them. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't hearing that from the pulpit at home or in any of the church environment I had grown up in. I was just hearing this long list of to-dos and how I wasn't measuring up to that, but it wasn't being motivated by grace. It yeah. was really just try harder. Right. That's so true. that's really the first hook in for me. That's a formula for frustration. Matthew, it sounds like you might have been attracted by by the neatness of the theological system that you could kind of plug things into. Am I right? Or I think it, what drew you? Yeah. I would I would agree with that. I would say it was a combination of things. Um on the one hand, the first thing that attracted me was just that there was intentionality on behalf of the men of the church, uh, which isn't necessarily related to any theological system. But being a newcomer, I had only lived in Nashville for about six months. And so finding friends was a top priority, you know, as a new co college graduate. So to kind of be adopted into a church where everyone wants to know you and you want to know everyone and there's a real priority around the growth of men. I, I appreciated that. And at the same time, I felt like um, I would echo what Emily said. I felt like there was this um, knowledge of the Bible in a way. There's a real knowledge of your depth of sin, um, just a real knowledge of Calvinistic theology in general, and that appealed to me. 
because I had not been involved in a church that really worked through those theological questions before. Um, my, you know, growing up in my at my home church, the the idea of theology was kind of murky because uh, we had different guest speakers that would come in at times, and they all presented different theological viewpoints. Um, and a lot of times we just didn't delve that far into theology. And so I just found the whole experience, both making new friends and being involved with people that really want to know you. And then being involved with these people that really, I felt like these people really understand theology. These people really know what they're talking about. And I, I want to understand that too. Okay. Well, what is it then that made you start to doubt or question or what drawbacks did you see in the church or inconsistencies? Well, I remember the first, the first Acts 29 church that I went to the pastor's wife got up on stage and she gave her testimony, which was, she said that she had gone to bed one night, woke up the next morning and knew that God had saved her. And that was really um, new to me, that concept of in Calvinism, you know, that you don't believe that you play a part in your salvation. You believe that God chooses you. And that that was a new concept to me. Um, part of it was weirdly encouraging because as someone who had felt like they struggled in Christianity, having to feel like, oh, I don't play a part. Um, that's great because I felt like I couldn't live up to the demands of Christianity and what was expected. Um, but it was a little weird, but as, um, I think I told you, Charlie, I had been given this opportunity to take a systemic, uh, or systematic theology class. And during that class, I was taught the doctrine of TULIP which is an acronym in Calvinism for just certain doctrines that we believe. And the first one is T, which stands for total depravity, which sometimes I feel is not the best naming for it, because really what total depravity is, is that you are dead. You have no ability to make a decision, but sometimes you hear it and think, oh, it's just you're so awful, which we are sinners, but in their mind, you're not able to make a choice in choosing God right. or not choosing God. The choice is chosen for you. Right. So when I was taught um, those doctrines, that's when first, well, first total depravity was what hooked me in Calvinism was because in regular conversation, while the definition of total depravity is you can't make a choice how that would play out in conversation was if I questioned anything in Calvinism, the answer would be, well, you are so depraved. You shouldn't question anything at all. You have no right to because you serve such a holy God and you are such a depraved person. So if I looked at scripture and saw something that contradicted Calvinism, in my mind, I would answer, or if I heard someone else contradict or ask a question about Calvinism, and I would hear that people would come visit our church when we were in Nashville, and they would say, I'm not sure I'm on board with everything. And I think to myself in my prideful manner, well, you just don't understand how depraved you are. 
Because mm-hmm. if you did, you would gladly accept these doctrines and have no problem believing them. Even though I would see scripture, it was like I would see scripture one way. And then at other times I'd verses that would prove in my mind, Calvinism. And it was kind of this back and forth. And, but the problem was the other part in Tulip is um, the doctrine of perseverance of the saints and perseverance of the saints is for those who don't know, is that you will continue on in the faith until the very end, those who are called and elected. And so I began and how, well, I should say how it's often taught at the pulpit is that you will have these good works to prove your salvation. Because the reality is, if you believe God chose you, then you're constantly looking for proof that God chose you. Right. You, if you don't play a role, you don't know. And so I would be told to look for my good works. But then I would start having these questions. Well, how many good works? Exactly. And they'd be like, well, so then they go, well, as long as you're repenting, because they would point to David and they'd be like, well, if you're repenting after each of your sins, then you should be fine. You shouldn't worry about it. And I'd be like, well, how fast do I need to repent? Do I need to repent right away? It, you know, it's just, it wasn't, it turned into a never ending spiral for me. It's like a mind game. It was a mind game. And, but at the end I'd go back to, well, Emily, you're, you're so depraved. And the other thing too, you know, John three sixteen was almost just non-existent because we were told Jesus didn't die on the cross because he loved you. He died on the cross because he was making, he had made a commitment to himself. He's, he had to keep that commitment he had made. So he did it for himself to bring himself glory. And that is your only job as a human being is just to bring him glory. And that's it. Don't question. You're not here to enjoy him unless it brings him glory. That's it. And so, I mean, when you're told these doctrines over and over, it really starts to mess with your mind. It's hard to break free from. Um, But anyway, what, what started to falter for me was really the perseverance of the saints trying to prove my works on my good days. I'd feel like, man, maybe I'm saved Mm. on my bad days. I'd be in just complete sorrow because I just was like, man, I'm probably not, Mm. which was a miserable way of living. Yes, it is. And the perseverance is a a way of subtly bringing, maybe not so subtly bringing works into the salvation equation because you're not saved unless you have those works and faithfulness until the end of your life. So even though they might not say works are needed at the beginning of salvation, it brings them in the back door. Um, Matthew, did you start to question things around the same time or is your story, when do your stories converge? (laughs) While you were both. So so my, our stories started to converge. I'd say when when Emily did start struggling with the P, the perseverance of the saints, um, that's admittedly her, her struggles and her journey kind of collided with mine where she, she would have good days and bad days. Um, 
where she would come to me on a, on a bad day and would struggle and would, um, you know, open up her heart about, I just, I'm struggling with this. How do I reconcile these things that, that happen or I'm harboring bitterness or whatever it might be. And how do you, how do you know that you know that you know that you are saved? Mm -hmm. And admittedly, I'm someone that probably rationalizes things too much at times. And I err on the side of grace. So, um, and because I didn't understand, you know, I, I didn't, I hadn't really delved in too deep to the Calvinist side. Um, I never had a sufficient answer for her. I could never, you know, I could answer my own questions in my own heart. And I could tell myself, you know, I know I have that conviction for sin. Um, I know that I'm still a sinner and that there are, that I have a sin nature and there are times that I'm going to sin. Um, and that was, and at the same time, I knew, okay, I'm being sanctified, but it's a very slow process. Um, and that was kind of good enough for me in my rationalization. But Emily, it, wasn't, it was not, it was good, not good enough for and it, me. And, you know, being married, this became a continual thing to where she, she, by the grace of God, she couldn't let it go. And, and that was the grace of God because it kept pushing her to keep looking and keep looking and going, how do we, how do we find a, an answer to this? Well, and the other big thing was, so we got married in 2014 mm -hmm. and then we got pregnant right away. And after we had our first child um, in the Calvinist church, I began to question, how do I evangelize my child? Yeah. What do I tell my child? Because if I really believe what Calvinism says that God chooses, then and what I was being taught in the church was you wait until they're older to see if there's proof that they've been saved. Mm -hmm. You just assume they're saved because they're growing up in a Christian household and they're being taught the truth. And you wait and see until they're older to see if there's proof of their salvation. Mm -hmm. And I just kept thinking it started going back and forth because I grew up evangelical. I went to a lot of missions conferences. I was taught how to evangelize. And then, but then coming into Calvinism, we were told all oh, that was wrong. There's no, we don't do that. And in fact, yeah, we were like, what's, what's the point? Because if God's going to save them anyway, what is my need to go out and share the gospel? Really? What is the gospel? In fact, it turned more into a social justice type thing of just making the earth a better place, loving people well not really saving souls because it's not our job. So and so when I had did not have an emphasis on evangelism at all. No, no, we did not. There was, yeah, there was an emphasis on church planting, church planting, making a home for the saved, but no, we did not do evangelism. That was not something we did. In fact, we would actually sometimes pass judgment on people who did that because we felt like a lot of times they were forcing their beliefs on someone or doing it wrongly or just again what was the point in a way I mean that sounds so harsh but it just yeah. really was reality and so when we had kids all of a sudden I was faced with someone really it should have hit earlier but it was my son now 
and this mattered to me. And I realized I need to figure out what I believe because I need to know what to tell him. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the I've talked to enough people and read enough books and had enough experiences to know that the Calvinist answer to how do I know if I'm saved always points you back to either your feelings or your heart or your or have you repented or have you borne fruit, uh, good works. But it's always back to you instead of looking to the only way we can have assurance is looking to something outside of ourselves, Jesus Christ, and uh, the objective fact that he died for me and rose from the dead. So the Calvinists are quite willing to say that all the elect have eternal life, but I don't know if I'm elect. <laughs> and and no honest Calvinist can say he's elect until he's on his deathbed, perhaps. And if he were to yes. have a wrong thought while he's on his deathbed, well, that might that might blow the whole thing, whole deal for him, for heaven. But um, so some of these questions and struggles uh, sound like they're pretty pretty tough on you, especially you, Emily, because some people are more introspective than others, I think. And uh, and some people are more trusting and just accept a system. Some people question it. Some people question themselves. Um, There's all kinds of reasons to struggle with this assurance. But tell me how you started to climb out of that. Uh, I don't know who wants to talk, but just how how did that change for you? So it, well, we both kind of did it at the same time because um, part of my upbringing I was raised with two pastors. One was from Arkansas and the other one was from the Middle East. And the pastor that was from the Middle East gave me a huge love for Israel and Bible prophecy. And um, that never left me. Even in Calvinism, I just hit it because in Calvinism that believing in the rapture or believing in a pre uh, premillennial concept is not very popular. And so... Um, that is something I hid and kept to myself, but it, I, I never stopped believing in that. And so because of that, um, I kept up on YouTube with pastors that would preach on Bible prophecy or give some sort of Bible prophecy update here and there. And during the summer of 2020, when we were all home, I was especially more just into sermons and on my computer. And one of the guys well, all of these guys all presented the gospel in their own way. And I remember one day, one of the guys started getting called out because a lot of people felt like he wasn't presenting the gospel clearly. But in my mind, I'll admit my first reaction was, why does it matter? It To me, I felt like he's getting the point of cross. And I, we were still coming out of Calvinism, not sure in Calvinism. So Um, it really didn't matter to me. And I was kind of annoyed that these men were asking him to, to really check what he was saying, but in the end it forced me because certain terms were brought up, um, like free grace, theology and Lordship salvation, which I had never heard of before. It caused me to go down this path on YouTube, um, learning about these theological belief systems. And I came across a video um, first by Dr. Andy Woods. And in the video, he calls out a quote by John Piper. And it says, no Christian can be sure that he is a true believer. 
Hence, there is a need to be dedicated to the Lord and to deny ourselves so that we might make it. Mm. I thought I thought that was really bold and mm. direct. So I thought I need to go investigate that myself because while yes, Calvinism, like you said, teaches that really our works need to prove our salvation, they tend to not be so direct in their regular teaching. So sometimes it just doesn't feel that bold a lot. And you, and you, we always thought, well, this makes John Piper sound like he believes that works save you. But we always were like, no, that's not what John Piper believes. We know John Piper's teaching. We know his work. We've listened to him for years. So I went to investigate and actually on his website, Desiring God, you can still find John Piper addressed that quote under does John Piper deny personal assurance? And you can listen to the conversation. And in listening to the conversation, John does deny that he, at least at that time when he recorded it, he denied that he said that quote. However, he went on to address whether or not he believed those words. And he said he didn't believe that the first part of what he was accused of was true. However, he did go on to basically say that he believed it was important to do those works um, and basically in our eyes admitted to workspace salvation. Mm-hmm. And it was the most eye-opening thing for us because yeah. we were like, wait a minute, you always told us it we couldn't, works weren't associated or, you know, it was phrased in a way that even though that's what they really believe, it was phrased in a way that that wasn't what they believed, at least what we were told. Right. It felt like a a bit of a slippery fish there. Like there were a lot of contradictions. And, and that's, that's the reason I said, you know, I took my spiritual theological understandings and I put it in the Calvinistic camp and I kind of made it work because to me that made sense. I knew that I knew that growing up, I couldn't lose my salvation. Uh, I knew that my beliefs didn't fit into the Arminianism, right. you know, belief system. So I just thought by default, I'm a Calvinist. That's the only thing that makes sense. Right. So then when we started doing research and Emily came across this thing by John Piper, who was my spiritual hero, had been for a couple of years now, it was kind of a blow where I thought, now, wait a second, that doesn't, that I just, how does that work? That that can't be true, but it obviously was. And so the pieces started falling at that there point. Are, we realized uh, the more research we did that there were a lot of contradictions. And even though you just heard me acknowledging a lot of hard questions in Calvinism that I wrestled with, the reality was I still believed that Calvinism was true. And I didn't really, it was like a blindness. I just didn't see until we reached that video, it wasn't until then that we started to see the contradictions for what they really were and just accept them that, yes, this isn't making sense. Mm-hmm. So that was the start of that. Well, uh, can take us further down the path because uh, you're not okay. calling yourself a Calvinist <laughs> yeah. today, even though you <laughs> trying to settle with it. So, so then we just started binge watching Well, so we started the debate between free grace and lordship salvation and understanding those terms. And what what do each of those things mean? Not realizing 
we had really believed a lot of Lordship Salvation our much of our lives. And we had used a lot of those phrases and terms. And um, I was going to say, you know, I talked about the four spiritual laws and how that was a really big part of my upbringing. Um, That's kind of how I define, like if I had to present the gospel in a minute, I'd use those four spiritual laws. I had most of the Bible verses memorized because I'd done it so many times, especially when I was in college. But at the same time, if you would have come up to me and asked me point blank, you know, do you have to make Jesus Lord of your life to become a Christian and Lord over all the different areas of your life? Uh, I would have said without a doubt, yes, because it's one and the same. It, right. I, I didn't see a difference there until we started, you know, going through these theological arguments. And suddenly I started to see the forest from the trees. The other thing, so obviously there's a lot of different research we did, but um, I told you, Charlie, that one of your videos you spoke at one of the Free Grace Alliance conferences, I think it was, and you were speaking on some of the objections to free grace. And I told you that I felt like you had just answered a lot of the questions that I had had in Calvinism, where I felt like he, like Matthew had said, no one was able to answer those for me before. And even I had, I had sat in my pastor's office in Nashville and told him, hey, I'm struggling with assurance. I see these different passages in scripture how do I know if I'm saved? And he literally just told me to go back and read the Bible more because that's all he could give me. Hmm. He could not give me any assurance at all. Nobody could. And so once I started hearing someone ask the questions that I was asking out loud and being able to give answers from scripture, it slowly started to make sense in my mind. um, Just the concept of free grace and In Calvinism, I will say, too, one of the things that they do and I would do at times is allegorize a lot of passages, which can be really dangerous. Allegorize, yeah. And which can be really dangerous because you can, I'm not accusing everyone of this, but you can make the passage say whatever you want it to say. So when we would look at John 3, 16, for God so loved the world you could say, well, he really only was talking about the elect or first uh, John two, two, you know, you, wherever it is in scripture that you see the world or all men or whoever you can make it say something else. The world of, the um, and so, yeah. So basically I realized that I felt really convicted that I needed to stop doing that and just take the passage for what it said. It not make it say anything else. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And, and what was, and what was your journey like, um, as, as Matt, as you began to reconsider things? I think things started to, like I mentioned before, I started to see the forest from the trees. I, Mm -hmm. things started to come into shape and come into view a lot more. I, I realized that, um, Things that I had believed growing up more aligned with free grace than Calvinism and that things that I said that I believed in and kind of just took and ran with, um, which is kind of my more of my personality. And I think that's that's probably why we're married. Emily is much more 
the Berean at times, and I'm much more trusting. And that that sounds good to me, you know. <laughs> but as as time went on, I couldn't help but agree with Emily. She would come. She would. Um, we'd listen to these videos, and she would uh, digest them, and I'd digest them, and we would talk about it. And I had to agree with her that some of the things that we've been taught and that we've believed being in Calvinism, um, they just don't make as much sense. And um, the, the theology that is free grace makes a lot more sense and, and really it weighs out. Uh, and so it, was, it wasn't like a, for me, it wasn't like a 180 degree turn. It was more like things came into focus. Like I started to realize I've read, rationalized a lot of the things that I learned in um, in Calvinism because I had to, because that's how I had to make sense of them in my own life. Right. You know, I know I'm a sinner. The only system you knew. Um, I don't, exactly. I don't, I don't have enough good works to really show that I'm, a, you know, I'm uh, for sure saved, but I know that I have a sin nature. And so um, I'm trusting in, you know, well, the other thing was we were almost overjoyed that there was a third option exactly. of not having to choose between Arminianism or Calvinism, because I think so many of us just assume that those are the only two options mm -hmm. because they're the most prevalent, I guess, but we just never knew there was a different way. And when you, Charlie, talked about um, A truth and B truth and salvation versus discipleship and making sure that when you look at scripture, you understand, is this verse talking about salvation or is it talking about discipleship? That was life changing for us because there are tough passages. Um, anyone who reads the whole Bible, there are tough passages that are sometimes hard to wrestle with or make sense of. But also there's passages where you look at scripture and you're like, this is blatantly saying that we are saved by grace and it is a gift and it's only by believing or in faith. And um, and so learning to discern between those two things mm -hmm. was so helpful and eye opening. Yeah. Learning. I would agree. When I found out there's a <laughs> we're phrasing it as a third option. Yeah, I but don't like that phrase. That's that's kind of like how. <laughs> it's not it's not the best way to phrase it but you know coming out of so having spent probably like the last 10 years with different friends and whatnot thinking well there's only these two systems of thought it was really it just opened up my mind in a way that I didn't I didn't know there was I know I didn't know there was free grace theology I didn't understand that I didn't know that was or just thing. that there is a way that Jesus paid for it all. We have eternal security and it's, right. but it's not dependent on our works either in the front end or the back end. Mm -hmm. None of us who claim to hold to free grace theology real feel necessarily very comfortable with the term. I wish we could call that third option uh, just being a biblicist. Right. Like, right. <laughs> instead of being pushed by your theology, be led by the scriptures. But uh, we have to have a name for things in life to know where we're coming from. So, uh, free grace seems to emphasize the idea that God's grace is absolutely free. It doesn't depend on works in the front end or the back end. And that that has resonated with some people and helps them have a category, I guess, for their beliefs. Although 
there are probably some people between Armenianism and Calvinism who don't wouldn't call themselves free grace. I don't know what they'd call themselves, but there's all kinds of uh, versions of things out there. Um, so describe you, you both describe some intellectual turmoil, some emotional turmoil. How are you feeling today about your salvation and your assurance of salvation? Are you absolutely sure you're saved now? Oh, a hundred percent. I would agree. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like a completely different person and I don't mean that lightly or throw that phrase around. I really do. I mean, the day that I was like, it's just belief. That's it. It would, I never honestly have looked back and, and I could see that when I was in Calvinism, all it did was just burden me and bind me and keep me in just this pit of despair. There's no growth. There's no moving forward because you're just constantly in a spiral. But now you have a solid foundation of I am saved by faith, by believing in Jesus, what he's done for me, that he's paid it all. Now I can go with joy you know, by grace, do good works and do it with joy and not feel this fear of, am I good enough? Am I going to be approved of? Um, but also understanding that God does call us to good works and there are rewards and dealing with all of that, um, that I get really encouraged by that. Um, mm -hmm. it I'm was curious, really can I ask you a question right there? Did, did yeah. your Calvinistic church ever teach on rewards as a future no. possibility? no that at least to my knowledge that was not a concept that was taught no i don't remember that if it was it was not highlighted by any means right that's what that's what was so freeing about understanding again free grace theology was just putting in almost in like correct order, I guess you could say you have salvation and then you have your discipleship. And during that discipleship is when you work for rewards, I guess. Exactly. I'm not sure. Maybe you could it say that better, an important but... part of the Christian life. Uh, that one, one reason why it's yes. important in the Christian life. That's just one of the reasons, but yeah, it gives a category for, for the, and a motivation to do good works also. Well, yeah, you're no longer pressured to perform them because you want proof of your salvation. You're performing them because you genuinely want to perform them out of the grace that God's given you. Amen. Mm -hmm. So you have peace of mind now. Yes, absolutely. I do. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think I would say I have peace of mind, but I would say there's an added clarity now that there never quite was before. Um, and I think there's, even even in our marriage, I think there's an additional peace because she, Emily feels at peace. She is not, you know, coming to me and um, pouring her heart out because she's unsure of her salvation. And I'm, I'm not trying to be the one that's saying, you know, one way or another for her. That's not my place anyways. Um, but I, I think for me first and foremost, what it was, was it just brought clarity. It helped me see theology um, in it. It just helped me have a much clearer lens of theology in general. Yeah. I love too that I can go to my boys confidently and say, this is the gospel. Here mm -hmm. it is plain and clear. And if you believe you can spend eternity with Jesus and that he 
does love you very much. And he means that. Amen. And I love that because before I couldn't do that. Yeah. You, so the one other thing I was, one last thing I was going to say was, I think it also imprinted upon me the importance of theology and what you believe, because growing up for me, like I said, theology was, it, it wasn't really, we didn't do a deep dive at my church in theological systems. I saw theology, quite frankly, as boring. Um, that wasn't really something we talked a lot about in my family. Missions was really valued in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I feel like if you don't get your theology right, you know, how do you know that you're doing what you're doing for the right reason and or even that you're saved? You know, it matters so much. And I think that's what really was imprinted upon me. Yeah, missions is so important, but more important is the message that we take out. Right. You want to make sure you have the right well, right gospel. Let me ask you a last question. Um, so you you both uh, come into what we call free grace theology, and now you have assurance of salvation. Was there a reaction from friends and family? Um, so I actually um, went to my sister, who will be listening to this podcast, and I told her, I said, hey, Um, I've discovered this guy, his name's Dr. Charlie Bing, and um, I'd like you to read his book. And I said, I think there's some things that we'd been taught growing up that um, I just don't think are correct. And she had also, she did not get into Calvinism, but she had been stuck in Lordship Salvation. And she really, just like me, mentally was struggling, would be depressed. And I said, hey, I think this is the freedom that you've been looking for. And I, I told her what the gospel was, but I said, I want you to go read. I want you to go study this and see what you think. And um, she so now she absolutely believes it's just by faith that you just believe the gospel and she understands it clearly. Um So that was really neat. I also got to share it with friends of mine that were in Nashville and one of my friends, um, I gave them a book and their boyfriend uh, got saved. Mm. So that was really cool. And so, um, yeah, it's just been a, it's been a ripple effect. So great. I agree. Yeah. That's great. Great to hear. I was just, yeah, Matt. No, I I don't have much to add. Uh, I I was just going to piggyback on that and say, I feel like it's been a great conversation starter, especially for some of our friends that are um, also in the faith and just to talk about uh, what free grace theology is and uh, different specifics that in the past, you know, we wouldn't even had the categories to talk about. Um, So that's been, that's been fun. That's great. Well, I hate to cut the conversation off. It's been great. We could talk forever about this. I, I'm just so happy that you y'all are happy and your sister is happy and that you're sharing this message. So that's what I that's what gets me out of bed in the morning is to see people get a big smile on their heart from uh, understanding the grace of God. And uh, we appreciate your testimony. Thanks for talking with us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, friends, as you heard from uh, Matt and Emily, uh, they were devoted Christians all of their lives, but they were in a theological system that never gave them full assurance of salvation until they learned that God's grace is absolutely unconditionally free. That means no works on the front end, no works to prove that you're saved on the back end, and 
no lack of works or work or bad works that would make you lose your salvation. Grace means it's absolutely free. And the way to know that you're saved is not by looking at yourself or how you feel or by looking at your performance, whether you've repented enough or whether you've done enough good works. But the way to know that you're saved is look at Jesus and what he's done. And what Jesus Christ did as the Son of God was die on the cross for our sins, rose again from the dead. And when Jesus said, it is finished, he meant he paid for all of our sins. And all those who trust in him, instead of their, their own good works or feelings, can have eternal life. And will have eternal life and live forever with without any fear of ever losing it. And that's where peace comes from, by knowing that it doesn't depend on us. It depends on God and his grace that saves us, keeps us saved, and brings us into eternity. Um, so... Some of the things that um, Emily was referring to, some of the books and podcasts you can find on our new app. If you look up Grace Life Ministries or GL Ministries app, you can go right to some of these uh, earlier podcasts on objections to free grace theology. And I think there's a grace notes there also on objections to free grace theology. Uh, I encourage you to get that app. You also mentioned that you love prophecy and uh, Israel. And we're that make, reminded me to say that we're going to Israel in November of 2023 and you can get on the app and sign up and get on the update list for that too if you're listening so if you've enjoyed this podcast i'd encourage you to make a comment and let uh emily and matthew matt know what you're thinking and let me know what you're thinking give us five stars and more people will hear it and then copy the link and share it with your friends because maybe they just need to hear it so friends thanks for coming along today on this wonderful um, interview in listening to a spiritual journey of these two dear people. Until all here, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. For more resources or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.